0: We are continuing our journey through the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. We are taking our time and, uh, and taking a journey through the first book of the New Testament, and um, and so we're excited. Last week we kind of started uh, a conversation about the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of my favorite things to talk about, and we're going to continue that today. So we'll be in Matthew chapter five, verses thirteen through 16. If you want to turn in your Bibles there, that's where we're going we're gonna to be. And so I'll read it to you and then we'll talk about it. This is what it says. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under foot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the light lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Um, These particular verses are, are I'm sure, familiar to you. They've become these iconic uh, descriptions of a a person who is living out uh, the Christian faith effectively. And uh, the picture of salt and light is it synonymous with someone who's devoted and committed to the journey of being a follower of Christ, and uh, I'm excited to look at this powerful metaphor to together today. Let's pray before we dive in. Jesus, we are, um, we are coming before you together today, God, uh, asking you to speak directly to where we are, um, to reinvigorate our our souls to bring life fresh wind to our sails god and father we need uh w- we need that passion and purpose that only you can give and father we pray as we explore this these familiar uh verses god that you would open our eyes and and, and bring bring us to some fresh bread uh father a fresh revelation father that will take us to a place that you've called us to be and father we just give you all the glory today in jesus name Amen. If someone calls you salty, that's not a compliment nowadays. Uh, If someone says, man, she's a little salty, um, no longer is that like a compliment. That is now in modern vernacular, that is uh, not necessarily a good thing. But uh, here is exactly what we're called to be in the way that Jesus describes it. And, uh, and truly, it's deep, something deep down we all want to be. And, uh, and so just to kind of give context, at this time, we're talking about, you know, again, an ancient, an ancient civilization, civilization. And, and salt uh, had some, some distinct purposes, culturally speaking. And, and so uh, salt was used certainly to add seasoning to food. Uh, that is uh, one of the great things that salt does, and, and, and we all enjoy to some degree. And so it brings out the flavor of certain food, and and but it also at this time it would preserve food. And so this is in a uh, this is a, a time before uh, refrigerators, obviously. And so there was uh, salt was used to to kind of preserve uh, corruptible and decaying food, typically meat. And so that, that would be the, the reason salt is used. And so uh, it, is, it is used to preserve corruptible and decaying food. And then light, obviously, uh, this purpose is pretty universal. It's used to eliminate darkness. So to do away with darkness, we need light. So what Jesus is uh, describing, and he's using these, these, uh, these analogies to describe uh, our significance as followers of Jesus um, in a corrupted, decaying, dark world, bringing a solution or bring uh, light and bring salt, bringing something that is useful and necessary in a a corruptible, decaying, dark world. And so we are uh, part of his plan to bring um, light, to bring uh, preservation, to bring healing, to bring flavor, to this world, and so um, this is something that's important to understand. And I think this is something we might lose sight in: um, that the difference that we make in the world is the difference that we have from the world. The difference that we make in this world is the difference that we have from the world. And uh, there is a, a natural tendency. To go along, to get along and, and to conform and to follow the traffic patterns of this world of culture, uh, we, we tend to uh, we find solace in groups. And so we, we like to kind of fit into categories in, in, in groups because there's safety in numbers. And so uh, the, the, the world that we're presented with is pretty, you know, binary. You've got this option, option A, option B. Which one are you going to be? Which one are you going to choose? And so that shows up in a lot of different arenas of life. Are you going to be this way? Are you going to be this way? And so we find safety in numbers. But really, how do you impact uh, a world when you're exactly like it? When you fit into it completely? And in fact, Romans 12 says, don't conform... To this world, and so this is describing someone who doesn't play by the rules, who is a non-conformist. This is someone who doesn't just go along with the traffic patterns of this culture. This is someone who's willing to say, "No, uh, I'm going to be what God's called me to be." And so, someone that is refreshingly different, and so uh, in in fact, that's what this whole conversation is is, is about someone bringing. A refreshing difference to this world, and so we get um, we get this comparison between grains of salt and grains of sand uh, in this conversation. And in uh, First Peter chapter two says that we're created to be peculiar. So different grains of uh, sand. From, or different grains of salt from grains of sand. So grains of sand would have a, an image of commonality. It's, it's dirt. So uh, Jesus says, what, what, what good is saltiness? Or salt, if it loses its the saltiness, then it just becomes dirt. Dirt is uh, can be useful to some degree, but uh, it's pretty common. It's pretty everyday. Salt has way more value and way more purpose especially in the context of what jesus is describing so but there's an actual there's a deeper uh meaning here the the first man created adam was created from the soil and so he was formed forged out of dirt his name adam adam actually means soil or means dust and so adam 's created from the dust, and so this this represents our humanity, dirt throughout the New Testament, throughout the entire Bible represents humanity, human beings flesh we 're flesh and blood from the dust we, we are formed to the, to the dust we return and so this this actually paints a picture of humanity uh, when, when, G, when God talks about adam or i 'm sorry Abraham and his descendants, he says they 're going to outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. And so this is a lot of this just speaks to human beings being human beings and and Jesus is saying there is a supernatural thing that I do within you that that creates something different. You become a new creation. No longer are you just dust in the wind, you're you're now something completely different, a completely different compound on a molecular level. This is something completely different. And, uh, and he's saying, if you are just common, if you lose your saltiness, and you just kind of become part of the world. And, and uh, there's this beautiful statement, 1 Peter 2 says that we're created to be peculiar, which is a fun word to describe Christians. We're created to be peculiar in the world, but not of it. Uh, it means we're not just conformists, We're something... Different. We go against the currents of this world, and so um, now this does not mean when you talk about this, get to the uh, get to the the heart of this. This does not mean that that uh, as salt we're meant to be abrasive, and uh, and so um, and truthfully, more abrasive sand is abrasive, but becoming more like something that would be welcomed at any table, something that would be invited to any party, and that is salt, refreshingly different. So Jesus just mentioned um in the last verses that we were talking about last week we were talking about the beatitudes hunger and, and thirst for righteousness that we're meant to hunger and thirst for righteousness something a quality of salt uh how many of you guys ever watched Seinfeld anyone these pretzels are making me thirsty and so that's a uh, famous line for Seinfeld now salt famously makes us thirsty and so uh part of the quality of being salty is that it creates a thirst amongst the people we're with for righteousness. It causes people to crave Jesus, to to want to connect with Jesus. That is a beautiful quality of being salty. So uh, Colossians 4, verse 6. Uh, I love this statement. I think this connects so much to what Jesus is saying. This is the Apostle Paul in Colossians four six, let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how how you should respond to each person. Um, there is a correlation that that I just really uh, started coming to a lot uh, coming alive to me a few years ago between uh, this idea of being salt and being light. And the description of Jesus that he is grace and truth. The law was given through Moses. Grace, grace and truth were realized in the person of Jesus Christ. The word realized means genomi, came into existence. So he doesn't just offer these things. He is these things. He is grace and truth. And so uh, grace uh, is correlated with salt here in Colossians. That uh, we're meant to speak with grace, and that means being seasoned with salt. So what gives us our saltiness? The grace of God. Something quite supernatural that we can't manifest in our own strength. This is a gift from God that, that causes us to become something completely different. And so grace being salt. And then truth. What illuminates truth? What speaks to truth? What shows truth? Light. Light speaking of light um we're called in addition to be salt we're called to be light we're called to be totes lit fam um (laughs) that's i'm one of the cool kids uh jesus is calling us in these verses which i think is interesting you are the light of the world that is a direct quote from jesus talking about you you are the light of the world it's very interesting because that's in fact how he refers to himself. He says it in uh, John chapter 8, verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is giving you a moniker, a title, a description that he gives himself I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Um, that's high praise. And it's a lofty statement, but but truth is, it it, it just means that he's in us, we're in him, we are what he is. He is righteousness, therefore we are righteousness. He says, the Bible says, as he is, so are you. We're only the light of the world because he is in us. We're not in the we're not the light of the world because we're charismatic. We're not the light of the world because we've got great answers or great statements or great talents. We're not the lie of the world because we're incredibly successful Christians. Uh, we have a high, a high degree of moralism and in, in, in religious activity. We see ourselves in the mirror as being quite um, ad, advanced in the Christian faith. And my ministry, my my dedication, my stuff, my my. my my focus, my dream. In fact, we still use the phrase salt of the earth to describe very human, everyday, common people. And that's more like what Jesus is saying here. Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 9, you were formerly darkness. And that's a direct statement. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light. Light. In the world, we walk as children of the light, and, and then it goes on to say, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. We were formerly darkness, but now we are light. Now, this statement is to live like that, to walk like that, to act like that, to think like that, to consider yourself as being light and not being darkness, because that's exactly what we are. In the same way Jesus talks about how pointless salt is once it loses its saltiness, he also talks about light losing its lightiness. He says that it would be pointless to to have a light and then put a basket over it. What good is that? So the point of light is to be visible, hopefully elevated. Uh, Something that is seen, that is shared, in other words, it's not isolated. It's not contained. It's not something that is relegated to itself. It's something that is out there. It's something that is elevated. It's something that's shared. He he goes on to describe three places where this light is shared, and he does this on purpose. He says, "You are the light of the world." He says, "A city on a hill cannot be hidden." And he also says, a lamp on a lampstand gives light to all that are in the house. He paints a picture of three different degrees of light. He says uh, the light of the world, which is something that is obviously for the whole world, global. He says light. Uh, He compares it to be a city on a hill. Now, back in that time... Uh, People would populate large cities. That city would be somewhat elevated typically. And then then oftentimes you have a lot of populace. And so they're all congregating in one place, all putting on light. And so wanderers in desert uh, would see this beacon of light because that's a city. That's a safe haven. That is a place where I can find uh, a roof over my head and food for my belly. It's good news to see light when you've been wandering in the desert. And then he says, uh, "A light—you don't lamp, light a, uh, a lamp and put a basket over it. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine." Uh, so you you put it on a lampstand, you elevate it, and then he goes on to say that light gives uh, gives light to all that are in the house. So we go from world to city to house. And he's painting a picture of all the places that were meant to bring light and hope and truth to. The world in general, and again, here we are 2,000 years later talking about Jesus because a cultural revolution happened where these individuals who were humble, who were salt of the earth types of people, nothing extraordinary. Jesus chose unextraordinary people on purpose. And here we are still, we're still in the wake of that Revolution. 2,000 years later talking about this person and this amazing life that he gives. So that is something that is quite global. And then uh, also, he speaks to a, a safe haven, a safe haven, a city on a hill, something that is way more localized. So bringing hope, bringing good news to your city, to where the place that God put you. I, this is a city so nice, I've lived here twice. I grew up here, left, saw the light, came back. And, so, uh, and I, will, I will be here till it's all over, it's said and done. And so this is the city that God's called me to be in. And so my hope and my, my, my desire is that me being here is a, something that is a blessing to this city, not because I'm great, because I'm not, But because God's great, and I want to let Him shine through me. And then speaking of being localized, this conversation gets even smaller to the household. Now, this is referenced to, throughout the text, the household of faith. Now, we're going to get to this in a minute. light shining through us is correlated with good works. Jesus says this is what it means to let your light shine. It means to, to demonstrate, share good works. Galatians, five, uh, Galatians 6 says that uh, you are to do good to everyone. Everyone around the world, around the city, wherever you are. Then it qualifies, especially to those who are part of the family of faith. Another translation says the household of faith. Giving preference, commitment, and dedication to the family that God's called us to. So God's, he's given us life on this world. He's called us to a city. And then he's also called us to be a part of a household, a local community. I want to read the um, message translation of Matthew chapter 5, just verse 16. Uh, This is a, a beautiful interpretation of these verses we've been reading it says this, I, I'm putting you on a, on a light stand now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine and then I love this keep open house be generous with your lives, by opening up to others you prompt people to open up with God this generous father in heaven this paints a picture of what ministry is is simply this, opening up our our homes, opening up our lives, being open with each other. Now, both these ideas, salt and light, are increased in magnitude, strength, and potency as they increase in quantity. So, salt, uh, if someone says, this needs more salt, and if you drop one little grain on there, uh, it's not going to make a lot of difference, but if you, if you, if you pile it on, you, you're going you're to taste it. Light is good, and uh, if we're in a, a dark cave, and I got a little, uh, a little a match, and, and hold that up, it's not going to do a lot of good, but if you've got sever- several people that have uh, flashlights, it makes a world of difference. So this, as the potency, the power of it increases as the quantity increases. And so to, to, to open up our lives to people, to more and more people, to be committed to the process of opening up our hearts and our lives and welcoming people to our tables, that makes an impact and a difference in the lives of human beings. It causes them, as the Bible says, to open up their hearts and lives to God. Because you're, you're showing them God by opening up your life to them. Jesus goes on to describe the intended purpose, the goal of being salt and light. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Good works, typically, there's three reasons we do good works for other people. There's standard reasons why I would... Do anything good for somebody else. Number one, because we're trying to impress God. We want God to smile down on us and say, good job, buddy. High five. Um, Number two, we're trying to impress other people. Uh, Whether we're trying to impress the person we're helping or, uh, more likely, we're, we're, we're going to post about it later or take a selfie during the process so that people know how good and wonderful and generous we are. Number three, to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. So we do things, nice things for other people, just because we want to feel good about ourselves. It makes us feel good. So three common reasons, to impress God, to impress others, or to impress ourselves, to make ourselves feel good. Now, what Jesus says here clearly is, I I want you to do Good works, let your light shine in such a way that, uh, that they may see your good works. And then he goes on to say the motivation that he desires in doing that. He says to glorify God. Do this to glorify God. He doesn't say do this to glorify yourself. He, he doesn't even say do this because it feels good. Do this for the distinct purpose of glorifying God. What does it mean to glorify God? To lift Him up, to, to point to Him, to bring attention to God and point to Him. The Bible says, or Jesus says it directly, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. If I'm elevated, if I'm glorified, I will draw men to myself. Our job, our goal as human beings is to glorify our Creator, to point to Him. One of the first weeks of this series, we talked about John the Baptist. Why why did Jesus say, no greater man's ever been born to a woman? John the Baptist, every time he opened his mouth, pointed to Jesus. That's what we're called to do. So this conversation about being salt, being light, is, is, is about being something for other people in this world, in our city, in our community, in our community of faith, being something for them, for the distinct purpose of pointing that person to Jesus. There's a um, correlation here, if you look for it. And uh, one of my favorite statements of, uh, in a psalm is, is something I use all the time, just as a reference point, something that describes our experience with God beautifully. And, and that is this direct in in psalm 34 taste and see that the lord is good taste and see that the lord is good in other words god is experiential it doesn't it doesn't say anything about learn the qualities memorize the rules jump through the hoops it just says taste and see experience try it um, I've tried to convince people uh, to to uh, to try the beautiful pumpkin spice that is available to us at Starbucks across this land of ours. It is uh, it is something that that is a gift from God. I'll just say that it is it is uh, a beautiful gift that we have. It's one of my favorite. I love fall. It's my favorite season. I love when the leaves change. I love the temperature drop. I love wearing hoodies. I love all the things that come in fall. Nothing is greater than the pumpkin spice that is given to us um, around this time. And, and people will, will look at my iced coffee with pumpkin spice uh, gravy in the bottom of it, just thick, gross, orange, brightly orange nastiness. And they'll, they'll look at that and they'll say, ah, I don't know about that. And I'm like, you got to taste it. You can't just see it. you got to taste it too. And, so, and then once you taste and, and see that it's good, you're converted. That's it. Game over. Um, God is a lot like a pumpkin spice. <laughs> um, he's experiential. I've, I've sat down and, and had cerebral arguments with non-believers. I've done it. I've done it many times, actually. I've debated with people about the exi- existence of God, the reality of God. Uh, I've, de- I've debated theology. People that believe in God believe, believe uh, a different thing about God. Uh, I've debated um, across denominational lines where it's like, this is the emphasis, this is the priority, not that. And, and we've had those conversations. But the truth is, all that stuff at the end of the day doesn't really matter. What matters is, have you experienced God? Do you know Him? And that know is a different kind of know than know. It's no. My wife and I have been married for a long time. Right, Sonia? Man, geez, Louise. Uh, We are at 22 years and counting. So we'll be 23 next March. And and so there is this beautiful aspect of marrying your best friend and, and, and having a wonderful relationship like that for that long is that no matter what the world says or how you feel or what's going on, um, maybe someone's upset with me, which never happens. Uh, maybe, maybe something is going off the rails and not going according to plan. There's always this human being that I know loves me. Like I know it. And, and you could ask me, how do you know that? I can't really tell you that. I can't really explain it. I can't write it down. I can't, I can't sit there and rationalize it because truthfully, if I start to rationalize it, I'll start talking myself out of it. I'm like, w- does she? Why would she? I know me. How the heck? Thank you, God, for, <laughs> for whatever she's unto- intoxicated on right now that's causing her to love me. Some beautiful spiritual intoxication. That's how you describe your love for me. <laughs> spiritual intoxication. Um, that's going to be my first album title. Um, how do you, why do you, I don't, I don't know. I can't describe it. I just know. And I know in a deeper place of knowing than I rationalize things. God loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know. How do I know? I know the song goes on because the Bible tells me so, but there's actually something more to it than that. I know just because I know. And, and people have tried to talk me out of the existence of God. It's like, Chris, come on. I'm like, dude, it's too late. It's like saying, Sonia doesn't exist. She's a figment of my imagination. Some sort of fight club weird thing. I, I know because I know I've met him. And I just know. To taste and see that the Lord is good is to experience who he is. To, to experience it. Not just intellectualize it, to experience it. And, and the beauty of this conversation that Jesus is having with us is that He's calling us to help people experience salt, light, taste, see. He's calling us to help other people experience God's goodness to taste and see that he is good through the vehicle of his people, us. We are, uh, and I've said this many times, may we all be the, the, the folks ha- handing out samples at Sam's Club or Costco. Uh, we are people who are out there wearing our little hazmat suits that they wear. The gloves and the hairnets. Uh, the hairnet would be unnecessary for me, but and we're, here, here. You, would you like to try this delicate little baby quiche? And you taste it. You're like, "This is delectable." I want a 95 pound bag of these, please. And so they're handing out these things so that you can taste and see, you can experience it, that you can find out what it's like. And that's who we are. We're people who are letting people experience who God is through us. We. We'll get stuck in this rut of thinking I'm insignificant. I am small and I, am, I don't have a lot of impact in this world. I don't mean much. Uh, we'll get stuck in these traps of I'm just, I'm just trying to make ends meet. I'm just trying to make it all work. I'm just caught up with just trying to keep breathing. And we, we feel like we're on the hamster wheel. And we'll we'll bring ourselves down to this tiny little place and say, "I, I am just this. Completely unaware of the eternal magnitude of our lives, the trajectory that God has us on, that God purposely uses people who feel that way who feel like they're just grains of sand, who just feel like they're small and insignificant. He purposely uses those types of people because the light tends to shine the brightest through those types of people. People who are not caught up with their own amazingness to where they allow God to be amazing for them. Salt of the earth kinds of people who Who are less interested in their ministry and more interested in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Who are less interested in in their impact and more interested in the impact of Jesus Christ. Who who are less interested in how people view them and more interested in people tasting and seeing that he is good. Not my goodness, his. No one's saved by my goodness. I'm not saved by my goodness. I'm saved by Jesus' goodness. Other people are impacted by Jesus' goodness. This life could go a couple different ways. And we all stand at this impasse, this crossroads. And Jesus gets to the crossroads here in a few verses. We're all kind of at the fork in the road perpetually. It's this choose this day option. We can either get completely enraptured with ourselves, but that's kind of what all the rest of the, the dirt on the ground is. Or, we can get caught up with the amazing magnitude of this, this God who would choose to do extraordinary things to this ordinary person. We read it a few minutes ago. The fruit of this light consists in all goodness and righteousness in truth. You know the amazing thing about if you continue that, that train of thought, being salt and light is to allow people to taste and see that he is good. Do you know what brings people to repentance? That causes them to shift their lives and focus on Jesus, to, to move from whatever it was that they were living for, to face and fix their eyes on the author, the perfecter of their faith? The Bible says it's not it's not arguing. It's not yelling through a bullhorn. It's not confronting or, or addressing sin in someone else's life. It's His goodness. What leads us to repentance is His goodness, His kindness. When people experience His goodness, repentance is on its way. So in standing in a place of acknowledging this world needs to repent. <laughs> the people in my community should repent. I don't disagree with that statement. Now we get to, how do I help that happen? Allow people to taste and see that he is good because it's his goodness it leads us to repentance. Jesus is bringing up a metaphor, not because it's clever and it fits on a t-shirt. He's bringing up this metaphor because this is exactly functionally who and what we are in this this world. He's called us to be salt and to be light so that people can taste and see that He is good and it's His goodness that actually causes their hearts to turn towards Him. I want to share two last scriptures as we close. These are, again, the message translation... Of what we just read, Matthew five thirteen and fourteen. It just gives a little bit more. Um, it gives a little bit more description to who and what we're meant to be. You, Matthew thir- five thirteen. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. Matthew five fourteen. You are here to be light bringing out the God colors in the world. Life can be mundane. Life can be... The, 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 the tough part about every day, it's so every day. Monotony sets in. And then you have a, a world and a culture and a media and in all different aspects of society shouting at us that this thing is going to hell in a handbasket it's the end of the world as we know it that you should be mad you should be angry whatever camp you're in you're supposed to hate the other camp you're supposed to be divided you're supposed to be agitated i don't know that we think about this much and i don't want to get on this whole diatribe about the news but news does, news does not exist to inform you. N- news is a for-profit profit business. N- news exists to make money. And what sells is not happy stories about people rescuing tre- uh, cats out of trees. what sells the two most sellable human emotions. The two most monetizable human emotions, anger and fear. I can get you to click on anything if it, if it prompts anger or fear. These are base level flesh human emotions that can cause us to lose our minds, to lose our way. And here's Jesus saying, What I'm asking you to be is potent examples of goodness, good works, His goodness, His righteousness. It's something that is so countercultural, it, they don't even fit in the same conversation. We're called to be salmon swimming against the current. We're meant to be refreshingly, distinctly different. The difference we make in this world is the difference that we have from this world. Now, is Jesus saying, I need you to bury your head in the sand and pretend everything's great? No, not at all. But He is saying, I'm asking you, calling you, equipping you, designing you to bring out the beauty that I've created, to bring out the goodness that I've intended, the, the, the truth of who Jesus is, the God flavors, the God colors, for people to maybe have their eyes opened to how unfairly good God is despite how unreparably damaged and broken humanity is. When people do something nice, there'll be this, often this phrase, you've restored my hope in humanity. You hold a door open for someone. You've restored my hope in humanity. That bar was pretty low. So uh, this happened. When you go to Starbucks as much as I do, uh, which I do have a problem, I need you to pray for me. Now it's pumpkin spice season. God have mercy on my soul. Um, I go through a drive through a lot, and the, when you frequent that much, there, there are nice people out there, and they will buy your coffee. You get to the window, and the, 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 the barista will say, the person in front of you bought yours. And right there, you're like, you've restored my hope in humanity. That's not our job. Jesus is the only hope for humanity. So doing nice things is nice, but ultimately what we're called to be is salt and light so people start to connect the dots and realize Jesus loves me. He cares for me. He's invested in me. And He wants to, he wants to do something absolutely beautiful in and through my life. And what we're meant to be is examples, salt, light, samples of who and what Jesus is to this world.